Welcome to the Resound Worship Songwriting Podcast, episode 59. I'm Joel Payne. I'm Sam Hargreaves. And this is a podcast to equip and inspire grassroots songwriters serving their local church. In this final episode of 2019, we will be <gasps> launching the 2020 12 Song Challenge and... <gasps> And hearing an interview with songwriter Andy Flanagan. <gasps> Thanks for the sharp intakes of breath. <laughs> it's really good. I think you feel like you've added drama there. I think so. Yes. I was just it's talking to a guy from the BBC. Oh yeah, about the, that one. I just that that for you. But he made, he said something about um, he's talking about daytime TV programs, something happening in daytime TV, and said. Um, you know, like Cash in the Attic and Homes Under the Hammer and so on. And I thought, yeah, they have that thing where they play spooky music just when the, you know, <laughs> when the bid might fail. Like a spooky, a, a spooky xylophone music in the background. Yeah. We should do that sometimes. If, I, if there's it's like of, a really spooky episode. There's one of my ex-LST students called Cephas, who's a great guy, and he's actually working on, like, creating music for film and stuff, and he's doing yeah. some of that stuff. Nice. Like the spooky music for Cash in the Attic. I used to follow cricket on Cephas. So, we're full of the Christmas spirit, um, or the Advent spirit, depending on how liturgical you are. It does make some people cross, doesn't it, when you yeah, <laughs> yeah, Christmas in, really in December. Um, we're going to take a very broad view. Uh, Sam, what have you been up to, my friend? Uh, being at LST doing a songwriting course mm-hmm. with Geraldine, mm-hmm. uh, which went really, really well. Cool. It was a great group, actually. Really lovely bunch of students, very enthusiastic. And uh, we had a great concert on the last evening. And um, yeah, and then we had Andy Flanagan, who did us a gig, and I interviewed him. So that is going to make up the bulk of this podcast. Oh, I love it when something makes up the bulk for us. <laughs> <laughs> what else? Anything else? Uh, yeah, we did this thing for Engage. We've, uh, my friend Amy Robinson has written these tiny Advent poems. Oh, yeah. They're like mini, mini yeah. poems about Advent. And then Richard Lyles put like visuals behind them. So we're we're going to put one out every day on our, our social media, but we're also making them available for free. Brilliant. And loads of people have got back and said, oh, I could use that at school or I could use that with my my women's group. They're not really church, but they're kind of, they're open enough that they kind of um, give you space to kind of, bring your own interpretation about what it means mm. to kind of advent and anticipate and uh yeah and then uh, obviously like everyone listening to this i am planning christmas services and we're doing a chris ingle service with a local school which is a bit of a new thing yeah uh for us and they were like oh we'd like you to teach us two songs uh, but they can't be too christian hmm. uh so Pick i the thought the right person then didn't they <laughs> <laughs> So I've written them a Muslim one. No, I've written a song uh, for it. So I'm quite excited about that. Really? Can we hear it? Yeah. Can we hear a bit? Or is it embargoed? It's it's embargoed at the moment, yeah. Okay. It, it's about light. So the first verse is about... Um, I could sing... Light, light, sure. Christmas light, light is nice, shine your light. Do you want me to sing you a bit? Or is that weird? Yeah, go on. That'd be quite nice. Christmas lights and floodlights, glitter balls and candles, lava lamps, torches and scrolls. There are fireworks and sparklers, halogens and gas lamps, LEDs, searchlights and foes. But one bright star out shines them all The light of life was born to us On Christmas Day, on Christmas Day The darkness cannot overcome The light of Jesus born on Christmas Day Times of winter 
Just a candle shining in the darkness lights the way to give us hope for one bright star outshines them all. The light of life was born to us on Christmas Day, on Christmas Day. The darkness cannot overcome. Light of Jesus, born on Christmas Day. The light of life was born to us on Christmas Day, on Christmas Day. The darkness cannot overcome the light of Jesus, born on Christmas Day. done lots of uh, you listed quite a lot of different lights in that song i would say that that was my uh, yeah that was my <laughs> bit of research for that <laughs> i liked it how as many well. lights i liked there? it as well when you sort of held the word strobe strobe <laughs> i also had the word matches at yeah. one point and did you think that i thought for for a school thing that's just going to get slapped down it's like don't encourage kids to use matches <gasps> can i tell you a thing um Yes. While we're on the opening chatting section, which yeah. I have to say, listeners have told us they really rather like. So we're going to string this out for an hour. No, no, no. They've told you they like that more than the rest. Oh, yes. That's it's not that they particularly like. They just said that's better than the rest. <laughs> yeah, of the um, we did. Uh, we did My Lighthouse, uh, Ren Collective song on Sunday. Yeah. And I would just I thought, well, I basically I got the kids so in our church plant. I got the kids to come and form the band. We we formed a mm-hmm. band. We called ourselves Rocket Booster. It was our first gig. Wow! And the kids were all five years and below, so they all played stuff. And we did this song. So it was just left with the adults. And I thought, well, adults don't just stand there doing actions because um, the kids were all playing percussion instruments. So instead, I got them all to get their phones out. And when we got to the chorus, "My Lighthouse," they all stuck their phones in the air with the torches on. Yeah, <laughs> it was brilliant. It's really good, and then waved them around <laughs> to each other. I'm sure that's not original, but I'd never thought of it before. Very clever. Is that? Um, are we caught up on you? Any anything else? Yeah, that's it. That's all yeah, I cool. want to say. How about you? Well, I've been uh, busy, busy working on Doxicology. That's good fun. Doxicology. That's it. It's the main hit song. Um, we, you know, working our way through 120 or more. So no, it's more. It's like 140 songs or something. Mm-hmm. Um, still, our team keep on writing. Um, <laughs> And that's great. Um, and my sort of focus now for that has really turned to uh, trying to figure out how we get some funding for it. So I'm looking at grants yeah. and that kind of thing. Um, uh, yeah, I, uh, I've i been chatting with... Um, this is just because we like have this LST Nexus face-off thing sometimes that we do. I'm chatting with the guys at, hmm. at Nexus about the songwriting degree that they're launching next September. Ooh. So that is going to be, as part of the... Uh, this is Nexus in Coventry. They do a um, popular music and worship studies. They also do a event management and worship studies or something along those lines. Um, and then now, now brought in, I'm not sure exactly what it's called, but it's something like songwriting and worship studies or something Brilliant. like that. Um, yeah, so, and quite broad, not just kind of, it's not a writing worship songs degree, mm. but it's a songwriting degree in a Christian context. So just thinking across Great. all kinds of different range of things. So I've been talking about how that's going to work and, how am I get involved in that? So that's pretty exciting. A whole degree on songwriting. Yeah, man. Yeah. Very good. Um, I've been helping my four-year-old to learn his lines for the Christmas play. <laughs> mm-hmm. What character is he? He's the dad, but not that oh. dad. <laughs> the not da- the dad in heaven. Not the dad in heaven or the dad in the, in the stable. The dad of the family who are explaining the story to their children. Um, uh. So he's, got, he's actually got a few quite substantial lines. I've been very impressed with how... Um, the meaningful way he delivers his lines. So quite. Is he drawing from in, from you, like his sort of inspiration for how? I don't how know. To be a See, Rhiannon said, um, "Oh, he's going to play dad. I should get him a little suit." And then she said, "Oh no, but then if I go to Huck and say, uh, I've got you a suit, so you look like a dad,' he's just going to say, what well, dads don't wear suits because <laughs> he's never yeah. seen me in one.' I say, yeah, but he's probably aware that work. you're fairly odd. Yeah, you is. don't have a real job and all that. Probably is." Um, <laughs> Yeah, and then uh, obviously Christmas stuff coming up, and one of the things is I'm going to be. Did I say this last time? I'm going to be at Lee Abbey 
for the New Year holiday. I'm going to be the speaker there. Um, talking about all sorts of stuff from John's Gospel. So um, if you come in, I'll see you there. If you're not, I won't. <laughs> nice. Uh, so this episode is a is going to be mainly uh, an interview with Andy Flanagan, but we are going to use the opportunity before that happens to launch the 12 Song Challenge. 12 Song Challenge. 12 Song Challenge. For 2020. It's back. This will be the third time we've run it. Hooray. Um, we are very excited about it. It's one of the best things we do. Um, and it's been super helpful to us. So we thought we'd maybe start by asking a few people who've been involved um, just to give us a mini review of 12 Song Challenge. So, uh, Sam, kick us off. Rebecca said, it's been great to be involved in the 12 Song Challenge. It's really motivated me each month to actually get on and do some writing. Ian said, I always thought the songs I wrote on my own were great until I hooked up with people who helped me make them even greater. Ah, good old Ian. Good old Ian. Uh, Keiko said, I love the 12 Song Challenge community. There is so much kindness and camaraderie and a perfect balance of encouragement and challenge for anyone who wants to grow in their songwriting. I ended up writing some of my best songs during the last 12 Song Challenge and I can't wait to dive in again. I would say I say that's definitely true. Like it's, I've been in quite a lot of forums where people either sl- sort of slide into the oh we're just going to say nice things about your yeah. song, or they are very harshly critical. Um, you know, and no one wants to go back to to a forum like that. And I do think that's true of of this forum is that actually people are really have a really good balance of you know sort of critique sandwich where they'll say something nice and they'll say oh you could change it like that and then they'll kind of build you up again it's true travis said the 12 song challenge is a bit like the camp gladiator of congregational songwriting your challenge what is that i don't know uh, your <laughs> challenge to grow in areas that you may never have sought to refine on your own you grow and learn in the midst of a wonderfully supportive community and the fruit of everyone's collective labor becomes beautifully evident in what each individual continues to produce for the glory of christ and the edification of the church outside the group that was wow. a long sentence um packed with what be- is camp gladiator well, clearly, it is a holiday camp for young gladiators Maximus during Jessamus their Marinus. summer holidays to go away and leave their gladiator parents to get on with um, the gardening. Oh, well, that clears that up. Owen said, having spent years writing performance-based songs on my own little bubble, I found the 12-song challenge invaluable for developing songwriting for a congregation. Each challenge pushed me outside my normal songwriting comfort zone, and the community always had helpful and uplifting things to say about each song. I also found the focus to get a song written every month really helped me to knuckle down and spend time with my Bible and my instrument, which has been amazing just from a personal devotional perspective. Wow. Terrific. Isn't that great? So there's a bit of... um feedback from some people who have taken part we've had i don't know hundreds of people who've have signed up and got involved in the 12 song challenge so far We're excited to welcome some more just a quick reminder of what it is in case you're new to the podcast um we give you 12 monthly challenges um which are going to start in january 2020 and the challenge will be maybe a theme a style or an approach to songwriting something to we try and do together then we have a go at it then we share them with each other and give each other feedback and encouragement and critique to try and help to refine them. Um, and basically, there's no real pressure to try and write a hit song. It's just about let's have a go at writing something. Let's do this together. Let's grow and get there. We'll talk about it on the podcast. We'll review some of the songs that we've written um, and some of the ones on the um, on the uh, on the forum as well. Um, so, how do you get involved? First up, well, you sign up. Oh, that was a. Sorry, say that again. That was a rhetorical question. <laughs> <laughs> it's hard to know. You need a little R sign or something. This question is rhetorical. Uh, I just won't leave a gap. So how do you get involved? Go on to the website. If you go to resoundworship.org forward slash 12, number 12, song challenge, um, then uh, you'll find a page with more information about it and uh, you can sign up on there. That will get you on the mailing list. You'll get emails every month that tell you about uh, the challenges, what's going on, update to stuff that's happening. It will get you access. We'll register you for the 12 Song Challenge forum so that you can begin to interact with people. And we'll also invite you to our Facebook group because that's been a pretty handy place for people to chat as well, especially when it comes to sort of sharing finished songs and things. People have used that a bit in the past, haven't they? Mm. Um, Yeah, definitely. But we've also got a new thing for this year, Sam. New thing. Challenge. Challenge. Uh, this time we're going to give a little incentive because one thing that 
does happen is people gradually drop off. Mm. So we start off with lots and lots of enthusiasm and then gradually um, the things of life come and get involved and interfere and so on, which we quite understand. Um, so we just want to have a little incentive to encourage people to get through towards the end. So we mm. are having a special bonus exclusive prize for 100% finisher completers, complete mm. finishers, um, where if you basically write and upload a song each month, and let's be honest, I've done this sometimes and my song has been about three lines of all the same word. So, you know, it has been. you just got to have a go at something. Um, if you do that and you contribute to at least one other so- person's song in a month, then you, that you kind of, you've completed that month. Um, and if you do that for all 12, at the end of it, you will get an exclusive, a world-exclusive 12-song challenge finishes mug. Way! Yeah. Shall I say it again? A 12-song yes. challenge finishes mug. Way! And you can drink of it with the smug slurp of a 12-song challenge finisher. That is very cool. That is good. That's a good thing, though, isn't it? And yeah. I think people need that kind of incentive. My my wife does stuff with it. She has an app. Yeah. And, and each day she has little challenges for herself and then she ticks them and she likes to see that she's she's done a streak. I've done this many days of doing this this particular thing. And so I think having anything like that that kind of makes you go, yes, I'm going to do this and I'm going to keep my streak going for my 12 months and I'm going to get an, you know a thing at the end of it. That's, that's yeah. a good thing. Uh, what we're also introducing this year, and we, we sort of floated the idea last year, but we're going to, we're doing it a little bit more strongly this time, is we're going to invite and encourage everybody who takes part to make a donation to the Song of the Hymn Writers Foundation, which is our the charity which supports the stuff that we do with Rizan Worship. Um, so we're going to invite a suggested donation of £20. Now, that's partly just to contribute to the ongoing costs of our ministry and um, kind of recognise what we're doing. But also we sort of hope it might go a little bit more of that sense of commitment as well, just to say, OK, I'm going to contribute something, yeah. and then I feel like I'm bought into this... Um, but if you can't do that, we're not going to exclude you at all. So um, as you go through the process on the on the website, you'll get that opportunity. And I won't actually see. I'm not going to pay attention to who does or who doesn't. Um, I probably, I suppose, unless no one does, in which case I'll know that no one did. <laughs> it's, it's really a bargain, though, isn't it? Considering you know you get a mug, yeah. you get access to the forum, you get these monthly podcasts, you get all that all that stuff. I mean, I think it'd be very f- few contexts uh, where you could get all of that stuff for, for so little money yeah so if you think it's worth more than that please don't let us limit yeah. you Sam tell us about the foreign mum and dad this is my favourite thing about next year's uh, um, 12 song challenge is that we have invited uh, two wonderful people who are probably the most active and encouraging and helpful forum posters forumites uh, K- forumites Keiko and David um, to be I'm not sure if Forum Mum and Dad is the best uh, title, but that's what we're calling them. Yeah. Uh, and we basically want them to help us set the challenges, to go and be as active as they've always been or more on, you know, commenting and helping people, encouraging people, and then being part of feeding back on a monthly basis on the on the uh, podcast as to, to what they've heard and what's been good and how they've got on with the challenge as well and all that kind of thing. So uh, it's just going to broaden it out beyond me and Joel in terms of voices and, yeah. and input and, and also just um, it will hopefully be a really good thing on the forum as well to have other people who are kind of assigned to be doing that stuff. Yeah, super exciting. And we are always going to share with you what we've done. So that's one of the things we do is we boldly and nervously play them to each other live on the podcast and <laughs> um, feedback on each other's. So we're, we're, yeah. we're in it with you. Yeah. Um, so there you go. Head to resoundworship.org forward slash 12, number 12, song challenge. Sign up. Do that in advance of the beginning of January. You'll be on the list and we'll begin to send you stuff. If you're listening to this a little bit late and you want to get involved later on, absolutely fine. You can still follow the same process. Join in um, whenever you hear this. As long as it's not like a year later, I suppose, because we're probably finished. Oh, I love the page. Oh, cool. The page is great, and you you mocked up a mug. That was very clever. Oh, yeah, yeah, I did. I got a um, yeah. I just used Photoshop and a warpy thing. That was very clever. It does it. It's all right, isn't it? Well, Looks wicked. Nice. Thank you. I believe that. I believe that that's a mug, even though I know for a fact that you haven't printed the mugs yet. <laughs> it does look like one, doesn't it? Okay, so we're going to now listen to my interview with Andy Flanagan. Andy has been uh, writing and performing songs for years and years and years, uh, back from his days with Youth for Christ as a travelling songwriter and working with their bands. Uh, He's written a number of worship songs, some of which have been 
published in in songbooks and things and uh he also publishes them for free on his on his website and um more recently he's got involved with politics through things like christians in politics and he's the head of that and and very involved in kind of social justice stuff and uh, it was great to hear him perform solo uh some of his performance stuff and then you'll hear that we talk a bit more about his worship stuff and after uh the interview went on to kind of lead a time of worship but uh He's got loads to say. He's got um, a really, a really big heart for songwriters and developing songwriters. So uh, have a listen. And I hear the song you wrote. I see the stars. They've waited years. To quote your words of Paul. Thank you, and thank you for singing through the phlegm as well. Oh, yeah, sorry. Apologies to the people in the front row. (laughs) So good, and so good to hear the stories. Um, I'm not sure if I said at the beginning, but you, as well as doing all this, you actually have a proper job, which is (laughs) to be the head of Christians in Politics. uh, And there's not a lot going on in politics at the moment. No. Uh, So you guys must be... Board, but I know well some of the songs that you've played already have, have touched on themes of justice, things of uh, themes of things not being right in the world, lament, uh, and some of your songs also touch on you've, you've engaged with the political stuff in both worship songs and in um, performance songs as well. That's what that's what that last song was about actually. That was God calling me to get involved in politics, wow. and I was quite enjoying doing my music thing in Luton and playing with my cricket team in Luton. And I was that was all good. And the idea of spending time with these obnoxious politicians did not fill me with a great amount of joy. Um, but God made it pretty clear that he was calling me out to that deep water. And there was just, you know, person after person, relationship after relationship that just seemed to call me deeper and deeper yeah. out into it. So, yeah, so yeah, that is actually what yeah. that was about. I just, I guess a lot of us here and maybe listen to this think uh, we're aware of all the situations going on around us in the world. We feel pretty uh, unable to make a difference. And we maybe wonder... You know, maybe I could write a song about it, but how can I even do that? And will that make a difference? And I think mm. I think I've noticed from trying myself to write songs either about justice or political issues or these sorts of things is they can get very uh, finger pointy. They can get very uh, negative. They can get. Uh, I've seen so many songs that are like, "There's people dying in the streets, and some of them take drugs." And you know, and it's just this sort of litany of like. Bad when, thing. when did you write that one? Sam? I know that's one of my that's one of my hits. I haven't heard that one yet. But um, I, that is the sort of when we have a go at these things, that's often that's how it comes out. Whereas you seem to have found ways to write songs around this stuff that doesn't do that. So how how do you do you think there is a place for writing songs into this situation? Mm. And how do you go about writing a song that actually makes a difference? Mm. Whew, I d- yeah. I love what Jim Wallace, the American writer, says. He says um, that if you find a need in the world and find out something that you're good at, where those two things fuse is probably what you should spend your life doing, which sounds ridiculously simple, um, uh, but it's incredibly difficult. Not many people have the privilege in terms of you know, salary and finances and stuff to be able to even think about what they do for a living that much. But if you can find a need in the world and you can find something you're good at, where those two things fuse is maybe what you should spend your life doing. And, uh, and, and so I think I am hugely encouraging. I have so many conversations with people who are gifted artists, dancers, uh, writers, sculptors, who are going, yeah, yeah, but, but people, as, you know, people, people around the corner from me are taking drugs. And so how, how can I justify this kind of artsy-fartsy 
you know, spending my time just writing songs and performing or just drawing a painting when people need food around the corner. How can I justify that? And and I would say two things. I would say that it is it is always throughout history been the job of the artist to be the prophet, calling out what is wrong and bringing an awareness of, of what is wrong to a much larger group of people. And and therefore that is it is it is a very it's a noble calling, in fact. Um but I would also say that um, sometimes, especially in this day and age, when the church has actually become brilliant at getting involved in the community and doing lots of social action and stuff, that we our, our, our theology can start to slide, and, and we start believing that actually that sorting out stuff, sorting out the the physicality of stuff, is the only stuff that matters. Um, and I, I call this the difference between building the kingdom and demonstrating the kingdom. I think building the kingdom is is not a biblical concept at all. Uh, we're not called to build the kingdom. It's not we're not doing, but we are called to demonstrate the kingdom. We are called to demonstrate that future perfection in the here and now. And we do that with moments of beauty as much as we do that by feeding someone or establishing a more just piece of legislation. Yeah, you know, I'm in politics, so I believe in all that physical, practical stuff. Don't get me wrong. But actually, we demonstrate the future perfection of the kingdom, the, the, not, the, you know, the not yet and the now, by, by moments of beauty. And sometimes a song or a piece of art can be a thing of beauty. Or, But, but also there's often pain involved in that beauty. That's often what... It can draws people out when you're talking like that song talking about death. That actually, um, that there's a really important job to do of 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 helping people find meaning in pain, of helping find people find meaning in joy. And often it's art and songs that help people do that because I call it like God sneaking in the back door rather than the front door. You know, in the way I've seen so many times, you know, at, uh, you know, Geraldine, Kerry and Sam, I mean, we've spent so much time at Christian festivals where people are in worship sessions and then they're being preached at. And then, and then these, like, actually the, some of the beautiful things happen at 10.30 or 11 o'clock at night where people are a bit more relaxed and, and, then, and God sneaks in the back door because it's happened via a piece of, you know, a piece of theatre or, or by a song where, you know, our defences are down. And it's, it's interacting with a different part of our brains and our hearts and our spirit. And, and so that, that, that's a hugely important part. There's, you know, there's quite a few people who have been motivated to be involved on the ground um, by other people's art. And so never denigrate or never allow anybody to say that this is, you know, this is not, you know, gosh, there's too much important stuff going on. We have to, you know, they'll be faffing around with that stuff. It's not, it's not faffing around. It's, it's like, it's, it's very much echoing the, the beauty of the creator and, and his creativity. You know, that's, that's what creativity is. Um, so anyway, sorry, I, I should stop talking so much, but... Good. I think... Does that... Does that oh, and, oh, yes, I, I knew there was something I hadn't said. <laughs> but you were asking me, how do you go about sort of instilling those songs with hope and making them not just miserable? Um, so it's not to say that there's not a place for just, like, miserable stuff. Sometimes, you know, you, everything doesn't, every song doesn't have, a, have to have a happy ending. Every psalm doesn't have a happy ending. I mean, quite often they do, but they don't all. Um, but there's a real honesty... You know, God said David was a man after his own heart, um, even though we know that David messed up in so many different ways, but he was honest about it. He was honest about his mucking up, and he articulated it. He didn't sort of hide it behind a mask. And so, you know, and he wrote songs about it. And, and so it would appear that uh, for him, this person who was both the, 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 the minstrel and also ended up being the leader, it would appear that in the same person, those two things were able to coexist. And so never underestimate, you know, the, the power of that, that, that both are valid and both can exist in the same person. Because I know a lot of people go through that, do go through that tension, especially in their 20s, of going like, well, I've got this going on, but I've, you know. So, you know, because I have friends who, who, you know, find a need in the world and, and just dissolve themselves in that and they stop being who they actually are and who they're created to be. But I've also got friends who, who get so into their art that that becomes all-encompassing and, and they don't, it doesn't reference the needs and the pain of the world. And it's just... You know, it's just an art form. It's just become an art form. It's not actually rap. So it's just you avoid both those challenges and try and bring the two together as much as possible, I would say. I, the other thing, I was, as I was listening to you play your songs, was I was thinking about how many of them come from personal experience and relationships. Mm. And so with the Pieces of April song, it's not, oh, there's a lot of girls out there who are struggling. It's, you know, one story. Mm. And so the... I think telling a story in a song, and particularly a story that you've lived, and you you mentioned about that about the in the shallow as well, you know, jumping mm. in, and that's just to encourage you. Um, no, but my next question was going to be, but, that, uh, but that's important. I think that's yeah. important in terms of songwriting. Pe- people need the micro to t- to, hold, to to grab onto. People can't just grab the abstract. People need a micro story, and it's good to set it in the context of a macro story. But people need a micro story to hang onto in a, in a song. Yeah. 
Um, that's and, the way all movies are written. I'm so sorry. No, sorry. no, totally. That's the way all movies. You know, you think of big movies like Titanic and Pearl Harbor. And also, it's you know, it's a micro story. It's the romance in the context of the bigger story. That that's that's for some reason that's the way our human brains work. We connect with that so hugely. So yeah. I know you've um, worked mentoring quite a lot of young writers, and um, what are the sort of things that you would say to young writers today, whether they're writing performance songs or worship songs, or what's the What's the encouragements? What's the challenges? What are you kind of, you know, seeing in the sort of Christian music scene and wanting to kind of call people into? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I do. I, I not as much, but since I've been doing so much of the politics stuff, I don't get so many of these emails. But when I was doing more of the music stuff full time, I was constantly getting emails, mostly from young white men with guitars, uh, an email that would basically say, "Hi, Andy, how do I get into worship?" And I, I would email back and say, oh, that's great. you want to get into worship? Well, I would encourage you to lead and serve wherever you are. And, and then the email would come, yeah, but how do I, I'd love to like write songs as well. I said, well, then write, write songs for the context that you're in, for what's going on, what's God doing in your community, and what's God doing in your parish, what's God doing in your part of the world, and what do you know to be true about him eternally, and see if you can fuse those two things and see how it comes together, and, you know, and serve and write. And you know, if, people, if people want to sing them, then that's great. And then the email would always come back, yeah, but how do I get into worship? I was just talking about that. No, but how do I get into worship? And you know, and you start to realize, well, the question is more about how do I stand in front of thousands of people and get lots of them to sing my songs? How do I join this strange industry that we have created, this strange subculture that we've created? And, and I guess my heart cry to an incredibly talented generation that is coming up below us um, so I don't know if I should say us, Sam, but it's, it's pretty uh, offensive to include you in my generation. But, uh, um, but you know, you see all, all this incredible musical talent, and I, and I do have a fear that so much of that musical talent is, is, is being turned inwards, uh, just into the church, um, because we've created that subculture. It's much easier to get famous and get status and get some security and get rid of your insecurity by standing in front of lots of Christians than it is to get out there and do it in the real world. Um, and therefore, I feel like a lot of the musical energy and talent that could be turned outward evangelistically and missionally and bringing beauty to a wider world is actually being turned inward uh, because, you know, people want to be the next X, Y, Z. I'll not mention names, but, we, you know, we've created a culture where, where, where those people are the great high priests of our subculture. And in any subculture, people want to be like those are the people that are platformed um, and, and therefore people inevitably want to be them. You know, I, I, uh, I think I probably... Uh, you know, I, I was I was asked to lead worship because because I had a guitar and I could sing. But you know, I I certainly wanted to do it because I'd seen people do it, um, and uh, you know that was my kind of that was you know a model that had that had been shown to me. And therefore, and I'm not sure whether it was a good idea for me to get into it at that point or not, or whether my ego could cope with that at that point. You know, it's, it's um, so I I would I just I, I just really I feel like we're at a dangerous place where the internet is so powerful and you can just rather than do the hard charge of write something yourself that expresses something about what is going on and that, that really properly reflects where a community is at, that you can just download whatever you want and use it and actually you'll get lots of other people singing it because other people know it too. And it'll sound really cool because it's got brilliant writing and it's written and it's designed to sound, you know, the, but the reality is it's not designed maybe for your church, it's designed to sound really good in two and a half minutes on an American Christian radio station to get a lot of money. That's that's the that's the scary truth of a lot of what goes on in the worship industry, and and you know, it might sound good and keep everybody fine, and and you know it'll keep us happy for a year and a half. But I do I do fear that that industry is is trampling indigenous creativity. You know, I'll never forget going to that same trip to Chennai that I told you about. We arrived, and the church that we were working with, Powerhouse in Chennai, had this wonderful welcome uh, event for us. And they, they all were wearing all their incredible Indian garb and saris and the men in their long shirts and trousers and all this incredible dancing. The tablas and the sitars were playing away. Just, just this glorious experience and, you know, like, you know, explosion of culture. And we were just feeling so welcomed. And then, and then the leader got up and said, I know we're going to, we'd love to have a time of worship with you. And, and suddenly everybody stripped off all their indigenous dress and the tablas and the sitars were shoved away to the side and a digital drum kit and an electric guitar were dragged out into the middle of the stage and we sang kind of American and British middle of the road rock songs for the next 20 minutes. And, 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 and I said to the guys at the end, I said, oh, did you guys just do that? Because we were here, you know, to try and make us feel at home. I said, and a guy just looked at me, he's like, what? He didn't even know what I meant. He said, well, that's, that's how we worship. And we were like, right, in English, singing our songs, playing them painfully, 
in a way that's obviously very different. I go like, what have we done? This is the new colonialism. This is the new imperialism. What we've done simply because we can, because we've got some money and resource, we can package it better and we can make it look shiny and we can make it look great and we can make people go, oh, you know, and you know, and that's I mean, that's just the same as the consumerist thing about. It's the same applies to McDonald's or Coke or whatever it is. But it's just you know we're selling people worship, and so and so that same thing. I've seen that happen in Chennai. I've seen it happen in Grimsby. You know, go up to. Uh, uh, you know, like a, a youth, a youth band that we were we were workshopping for a youth event, and we were going up and sort of try and train them up during the day for them to then run a youth event in the evening. And we'd been told, you know, this this youth event, big noise going on in Grimsby, and and we spent an afternoon with these with this group of lads. And I said, so you know, um, so when when do you guys get together and pray together? And they're like, no, don't do that. And what well, would you like rehearse together? And, no, don't do that. And so well, so what do you like? Would you write write songs ever together? And I'm like, no, don't do that. And I'm going like, where's the juice flow in here you know why 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 what, what's happening and then uh, and they said oh do we just wait just wait just wait and it like got to half five and this big van arrived with with huge bits of silver trussing and big you know mac 500 you know bbc studio lights and i was going like how many people are coming tonight and they said oh probably about 50 and i was going like whoa right okay and then two big screens went up and then, and then you know, before you know it, the whole thing is kicking off, and it's a big countdown: ten, nine, eight, seven, six. And then the first ten minutes of the meeting are a certain live worship DVD with three dear friends who I know playing on a stage. The you know the the brand shall remain nameless because that's not the point. But but you know, I, I I stood there thinking, and you know, the guys by this stage have put a bit of effort into standing in a line and waxing their hair. And I was just thinking, you know, my mates who are sincere worshippers who do not do this stuff for ego, but are, are are here on a DVD, and and basically they would be turning in their graves if they knew that that basically what's been picked up from this stuff is that this is how you do worship well. You know. Um, rather than that kind of heart behind it, and, and so we, we, so as soon as you industrialize anything, you have to be responsible not just for the product because those guys can say, "Oh no, we just wrote the songs and we just wanted to resource as many people as possible." You have to be responsible for the product as well as you have to be responsible way for how the product will be packaged and how it will be sold, as well as what the product is, um, because you've no idea what impact that is having. So again, in that context, that was trampling indigenous creativity and 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 sowing some pretty bad thoughts as to what. What it really was to truly to truly worship. Um, sorry, that's me ranting a little bit there, but do you get the drift? Yeah. So you would say to the local worship leader, what what's the antidote to that? What's the serve your clan in a way that is appropriate for your clan? And if that means you writing stuff, brilliant. You might not be gifted in writing stuff, in which case, fine, but there may be friends of yours that are gifted in writing stuff. There may be other people in the community who are gifted artists or dancers or poets that you want to you know, bring in their creativity to what you're doing. But do, do something that kind of takes the sting out of this uh, karaoke worship to some extent that we're stuck in. You know, sometimes you're only seeing one line. You know, I often say to church leaders, how do you know where your people are at if all you ever do is tell them what to sing? You know, so it's it's important to shift this thing of like some of these questions about well, what should we sing and should it be stuff we write ourselves? Well, that that's based on the presumption that everything's prescriptive, that it, that 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 it will all be led from the front, that there won't be any space for people to lead stuff, whether you know artistic, written stuff, spoken poetry, you know, that that there are opportunities for everybody to lead, that that everybody can find then their own level in the thing. So, you know, hopefully increasingly in our gatherings that we've got folks who are believers and who aren't believers or who are just exploring or just looking that we're actually, we're creating spaces. As, when you're prescriptive, people can't find their own space in it. They either kind of say yes or they say no. But if you enable people to have creative participatory things, the sort of stuff that you're brilliant at facilitating, Sam and Sarah are brilliant at blazed the trail and facilitating people being incredibly creative in, in the gathered context. But whenever, you know, so if you've got a bunch of folks on a, on a Sunday morning and you've got a crowd of five-year-olds and you've got a crowd of 15-year-olds and a crowd of, a crowd of 45-year-olds, you know, you can't pick music that's going to keep everybody happy. But if you say, right, we're all going to write a psalm. We're all going to write a psalm together. You give them a theme of, like, God being victorious. So we're all going to write a psalm together. So the 45-year-olds will go away and they'll write maybe a page of A4 prose. You know, the kids will draw a little picture and, the, you know, the, maybe the, you know, you'll get all the teenagers texting, uh, you know, a little quick psalm about it or something like that. But, you know, everybody can find their own level in it and everybody can feel involved. But you can only do that if you step away from the prescriptive thing of where, like, it all has to be led from the front at all. Because inevitably then you're, you're, you know, you're just discussing styles and that sort of stuff. So I would say try and get participative 
and try and get creative. Great. I'm going to throw it over to the floor. Has anyone else got questions for Andy? I've got plenty of questions if you don't, but please do stick your hand up. Um, yeah, my question in in general, when it comes to the writing process, how long how long would it does it take for you to come up with an idea and be like, bam, I want to write this in this way? Um, it, probably the initial thing usually comes quite quickly. I try to keep quite a a high bar. If it doesn't come quickly and it doesn't feel like a strong idea, I'll 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 not allow it in, so to speak. I'm constantly saying to people, you know, a really good definition of creativity is bringing something into the world that hasn't been there before. And 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 so we try to keep at quite a high bar to say, well, has, has somebody said this before? Has this been said this way before? Um, and if it's not fresh in some way, I'll, I'll probably try and not go much further with that thought. But if it feels like a strong thought, then I think I will try and work on the kind of major, major sections of it. I, you know, like whether it's working on a chorus, for example, if, if kind of the main idea is, is there, then I'll try and work on a chorus. And until I've got a chorus that works, for example, I, I think I probably won't bother working. Oh, bless you. Thanks, Johnny. Um, I probably won't bother trying to work on all the rest of the stuff. I think I, I do a lot of, um, a lot of people email me their songs and I sort of try to give them sort of hints and tips and send them back and say, you know, well, this, yeah, I like your, I like your chorus, but not really your pre-chorus. And I think the verse sounds more like a chorus, or that chorus sounds more like a verse. You know, that's something I really enjoy doing. And but if if I had one global thing from all the songs that I've tried to help people with over the years, it's that people waste a lot of time. <laughs> people waste like until you've got a really strong central idea, a really strong central hook. Do not waste your time writing two, three verses for it and a middle eight. And, and start recording it and start sequencing it and start, you know, most important thing is to get that strong core idea. If that one strong central idea is there, then it's worth putting a lot of work into a song. If it's not, try and try it out with people. So see, just try three lines, four lines with people and, or tell them the heart of the song and say, look, is this worth exploring? And if not, just don't waste your time. <laughs> don't waste your time doing it. Because there's far too many songs where people have put so much work and put in so many putting so many verses together and you're going, but like, but there's no there's no guts in it. There's no there's no central core. There's not a strong core. So those verses will never be sung anyway. You know? So I, I would say I come yeah, I think you can get a sense fairly quickly and then with that quick feedback loop to some other people and with yourself, know like is this worth investing in? And it's worth asking yourself that question because we've all got limited time. Um, and it's time you could be spending on another fresh idea. Because, I mean, you probably heard as, as Sam and, um, and, and, and Geraldine have shared, you know, in terms, of, in terms of lyrics, I think you can do a bit more work. You can kind of work it up. You know, if, if, if it's like 40% good, you can work it up to 50, 60, 70%. But with, with, with hooks, hooks and melody, it, it, and mostly if it doesn't come towards the start, you're not going to be able to work it up. You know, don't don't waste any more time on it. Wait, pray, pray, and wait for the next for the next idea. <laughs> but keep a keep a keep a notebook everywhere. Always have a notebook or a phone on you. The best songs are noticed when you're out and about, not when you're sitting in your bedroom trying to write a song, because then you will see imagery and you will th see things that other people can identify with. Because most other people happily can't identify with what's inside your bedroom. It's <laughs> a good thing. Yeah, we were talking today about um, sparking like those initial inspiration, and we had this. Jacob Collier interview we listened to a little bit of, and he was saying how those initial ideas have to come fast, they have to be snappy, uh, it, and then and often they're good. But the, the other thing I know about you, Andy, because we did a little co-write on a, a messy church song, our local church asked us would we write a song for the messy church, and uh, what I know about you is when it gets to the finishing part, you are a perfectionist. Because we just, we, we got that song and it was like 80% there. And Andy's going, no, we've got to do a bit more. Is it, really, is, it really, is it really that line? Is it really that melody? And I was like, okay, it's done now. And he's like, no, but it, should we just check it? So I know for a fact that like once he's had that idea and once he's got, he's the finishing part, you are really kind of, you're fastidious in making it right. That's fascinating. Never, nobody's, <laughs> nobody's ever said that to me really? before. Well, I, I, please tell my wife that you think I'm a perfectionist. That would be just so, so useful. <laughs> I mean, so useful on many levels. But the, the um, yeah, I, I think once you do have the idea and you, and you believe in it, then absolutely, you know, work. You can really work in the lyrics to make them as really as good as they can be, and you can think about chords and you can think about melodies just to check that they're you know interesting enough and strong enough. I'm not saying I always succeed in that at all. My goodness, I really don't. Um, but yeah, I, yeah. But but it's that. It's like, is this worth working on? Yeah. Any other questions? Go wide early. Go to the community early. Let it be a community experience. Mm. 
don't sit thinking, this is my baby, I must keep it, it is mine. You know, quickly, quickly share with friends and quickly share with churches and gatherings to see what people think. And people, you, you'll get very quickly get a sense of what's resonating with people and what works for people. Sorry. Hi, um, just wondering, do you give yourself a yearly goal, like I'm going to write 12 songs this year, I'm going to write 100 songs this year? <laughs> I don't know, like what kind of goal do you work towards? Um, I absolutely don't, I must confess. I, um, I, I actually work better when I do have a, a project or a commission. <laughs> and it's in, in my laziness, I'm not so good when I don't have deadlines like that. So I, I, it, it helps me, but I'm not the sort of person who self-sets those goals very well. But that's just more of a, I would please don't take that as a kind of a, a good idea. That's just me confessing my personality type, really. Um, I'm an ENFP for anybody that knows Myers-Briggs stuff, you know. Um, uh, so, uh, so that's why it's surprising to hear that I'm a perfectionist as well. <laughs> um, so, but I, I think I think sometimes it's it's really helpful to have somebody say, look, Andy. So for the Baptist Union, for example, this year, their theme at their conference was adventure, going on the adventure. They were talking about all their pioneer ministries who are doing adventurous uh, expressions of church in various places, and so they asked me to write a song about about adventure. And, and I just love doing that, I, I, you know, so it's, it's actually, it's no bad thing to offer things to people and say, look, you know, get people to ask you to do things and get people to set you deadlines. It's very helpful. I, I certainly, knowing that there's a deadline, knowing that, that it's happening then and therefore I have to get it done, certainly chops off a lot of my laziness and my procrastination. Um, so I think it's, it's both, it's both and. I, I, I don't, I genuinely, I, I don't subscribe to the whole thing that of, of, you know, you've got to just sit and wait for it to happen. You know, it's just like only when the Lord brings it. You know, you, you can actually, you know, you don't do that in any other aspect of your life. So why should it be so in creativity? Yeah, so I always find both the music and the lyrics of your work really inspiring. Um, and I was just wondering um, whether there's anything specifically that you do to keep that kind of freshness in your musicality and um, the words that you pick for lyrics. I'm just thinking like, um, you know, sometimes music can get a bit samey or you can get a bit stuck in a rut. Um, I, I, what, I totally do. What do you do to avoid that? Gosh, I, you, that is a very kind thing for you to say. I, um, I, I do feel like I do get stuck in ruts because I, I'm, I haven't probably invested in the art form of guitar playing as much as I should have because I've been doing this politics stuff. And you know, I guess in the, you know, I totally believe in art for art's sake. Like I was talking about beauty being a sign of the kingdom earlier. Um, and you know, art for art's sake. And a lot of my friends who are Christians who who never say anything inverted commas about Jesus in their songs, but I totally believe in what they're doing. Art for art's sake, uh, who are involved in the music industry and and doing beautiful things. But there's a spectrum of like art for art's sake, and then art for the purpose of communication. And and I just must. And it's only me confessing. I feel like my personal calling is 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 that I feel like God's called me to use music as a way of communicating. So unashamedly, my art is very much sort of subjugated to the desire to communicate um, and, and everything I'm doing. I just, I just want to communicate with people. I mean, I feel like the, the call God's put in my life is to be a sender. Um, George Verwer was talking, and uh, I didn't really know what I was doing until fourth year of my medical degree. George, um, George Verwer was speaking at the front of a, a meeting in Belfast, and um, he used to run Operation Mobilization. And he said, you know, in the, in the study of missiology today, the big need is not for new, large numbers of new missionaries. He said, the gap in the market is for people who I call senders, people who have a heart for a way, but who are gifted in communicating about that at home. And he didn't just mean a way geographically, but people who have a heart for the mission field, but who are gifted in communicating about that at home. And it was just this thing, just that, that night, it was just like, gah. Gosh, that's what I'm meant to be. I'm meant to be. I'm meant to be a sender. And different people had had sort of prophetic words for me about being like a pied piper or a minstrel and that sort of thing of, you know, leading people out of churches to the harvest fields and stuff. But I think for for you guys, you know, referring back to that first thought, Sam, about, you know, is it valid to even be doing artistic stuff while the world is, you know, burning? <laughs> um, but absolutely, because I think one of those key roles is to be a sender, someone who does call people, creatively calls people to the mission field. Um, and why did I say that? Oh yes, and I've, so I feel like yes, I I have not as invested as much as I probably should have in in the art of it because I've always been so passionate about the, the communication of it. So the way that um, I get other people to help me, 
basically. So I did the last album with this incredible guy called Alan Branch, who's like Grammy award-winning producer, who's an absolute genius. And I just, the whole process was intensely painful for me because he dissected and took apart all the songs. He said, oh, same rhythm, same chords, same melody. You know, he was just like ruthless and taking apart. It was like, it was like two years of painful, painful musical discipleship, you know? Um, but like the end product was, was, was a joy, was an absolute joy. Um, but I think, you, you, yeah, intentionally put yourself with people who, who will disciple you and stretch you. But maybe also, this maybe segue us into the sort of more worship time. And I think one of the things that really strikes me about your worship lyrics is they don't sound like other people's worship lyrics. And they have words and they go to places that other worship lyrics don't. So how do you, what's the thinking behind singing a song that refers very specifically to people's work lives or to the God who... Praise to the God giving cancer permission. Not many people are writing those songs. For worship, <laughs> so they're being stoned when they do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's um, they're not alive. Um, yeah, I guess. Well, one way of doing it is by not listening to worship music. I, I don't, I don't, li I don't listen to worship music. So that that helps me not. That helps me find a vocabulary that's not just regurgitating the same cliches, because inevitably we do. You know, it's like whatever goes in comes out. So um, I guess I intentionally try to listen to stuff that's not in the. Worship music genre. Not that there's not some glorious, gorgeous stuff in it. And obviously, I lead lots of other people's songs all the time. So I, I eventually pick them up. <laughs> but I'm not at the cool face of picking them up. I don't know. I just desperately believe that we are in the midst of this story of our God restoring and redeeming and reconciling absolutely everything in creation to Himself. And that means all things. You know, that amazing passage at the start of Colossians, it talks about in Him all things. All things, all things. It's all things that you know, God desires to have preeminence in every aspect of our life. So in the kitchen, in the boardroom, in the church gathering, in the you know, behind the wheel of a car, you know, and and you know, we it's 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 been proved by sociologists all through the years that we, we believe what we sing. The words that we sing, if we don't sing about God in the kitchen, as John Bell, the Scottish uh, writer says, if we don't sing about God in the kitchen, God will not likely to, we're not likely to experience God in the kitchen. And so I, I, I feel like it's really important to have uh, the, the language and the vocabulary of the stuff of earth in, in, in those songs as we, as, as we come before God. I mean, a brilliant example of that was, we, I was at a, we were using a song uh, at, a, at a large Christian event that shall remain nameless. And uh, we were working with a, a group of young people and we had this song and that we'd written this song called Help Me Hold On to Things That Will Last. Help me learn from mistakes in my past. Take the rubbish that's filling my life. Fill me up with only you. It was a great, simple, lovely song for these kids to sing. And in the middle of the song, we would always have a big, uh, big treasure chest in the middle of the room and also a big, huge, big dustbin in the middle of the room. And so the kids would write, um, things that they wanted to stash, they'd write on paper things in their lives they wanted to stash, put them in the treasure chest, and things they wanted to trash, put them in the bin. And they were singing, help me hold on to things that will last, help me learn from mistakes in my past, take the rubbish that's filling my life, fill me up with you. It was, an, it was like a, a multi-sensory worship experience that really, really worked. And, and so a lot of people started using it, and so the Unnamed Festival asked us to record it for their album, and, and then we got to recording it, and then a few people said, ooh, the word rubbish isn't really a very worshipy word, is it? Can we change that for the album? Can we put something else in there? And I was going like, well, I can think of a few worse things that we could put in there. Um, <laughs> take the, that's filling my life. Um, and, but, oh, this is being recorded, isn't it? <laughs> Oops. Uh, and, uh, and I said, but that, that's, that's why the song works. That's why the kids identify with it. They, they get it. They make the connection, the real world connection. In the same way that David made the connection. You know, we often forget that David was like the first person to say, the Lord is my shepherd. You know, and when David said, the Lord is my shepherd, people would have sat up and gone, what? God's like a shepherd. There are so many ways in which God is not like a shepherd. That's ridiculous. But then gradually people went, oh, okay, God's like a shepherd. You know, there's always a first time that somebody goes for a metaphor or goes for an image. And, and we have to be bolder in, in, in some of our metaphor and some of our vocabulary and some of our image because that's the biblical pattern set for us in, in the work that David did. He used the stuff of there and now. And I, I think David would be turning in his grave if he realized that we were confining ourselves to only use agricultural and, and, and sheep herding imagery when he said, no, you guys are accountants. What, what are you doing using my stuff? That wasn't the point. Um, so, so, you know, um, so, I, so we basically refused to get it recorded, but the next year we won. And if we did get it recorded, but... Um, 
um, you know, that's just a, a simple little example of of how we we you know we need to bring the stuff of of life before God, and we need to. I think, I think that more than anything, I feel like we want we need to sing to all aspects of God's character. Um, there's this guy who went to LST once, um, and he did a like a dissertation, and he studied you know all the stuff that uh, Christian. Uh, Christians have been singing for the last 10, 15 years. And, and he realized that nearly all the imagery that was being used in the songs was romantic. And he, so he called this thesis, you know, Jesus is my girlfriend. Uh, Sam Hargreaves is the person I'm talking about, by the way. Have you mentioned that already today? No, okay. You ask him for it, it's brilliant. But, but you know, so it's not, it's not bad to sing about Jesus in romantic terms and sing about God in romantic terms. He, we have an intimate romantic uh, relationship with him. But if 85% of everything we're singing is only at singing towards that aspect of his character or that aspect of our relationship with him, there's a whole set of other things that we're going to miss out about purity and justice and about anger and about disappointment and fear and pain. And, and so it's just making sure we round out <laughs> You know, that we're singing to, you know, imagine God is this beautiful diamond that we're singing into all the different facets and angles of his character rather than just this one that, the warm, fuzzy one that makes us feel good because that just turns worship into kind of, you know, sort of, you know, psychological, you know, self-help, <laughs> you know. Um, why don't we turn to that now? Why don't we oh, worship? okay. Not psychological self-help. Yeah, but, yeah well, well, I'll, 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 That's the end of podcast number 59. Do get in touch with us as usual. Email podcast at resignworship.org, Twitter at resignworship or Facebook forward slash resignworship.org. And all that remains is to introduce our feature song of the month, which is the second of our new releases for Christmas this year. Um, I wrote this one with Matt Weeks. It's a bona fide co-write and uh, it's not too late to learn it for Christmas. And my tip is um, teach, teach a new Christmas song on the first Sunday of, of December, whatever, just teach it, teach it, do it as a learning exercise, and then you're ready so you can use it in your services later on, especially when, when yeah. newcomers come in. So it feels like the church knows it and, and owns it. That's my tip for you if you want to learn this one or any of the Resound Worship Christmas songs. This one is uh, Sweet Sounds of Heaven, brackets Christ is Born. Uh, until next time, happy Christmas! Happy Christmas! Whoa, 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 sweet sounds of heaven. Is it that one? Yeah. Sweet sounds of heaven fill the night as strains of
return the day of promise and redemption for the earth as all creation waits with every heart.